Hey, good morning. Y'all are a great crowd. I thought I'd have to wake you up a little bit. Merry Christmas. Oh, gosh, you started so well. It's not always how you start, it's how you finish. Happy Advent. Yeah, I don't even know what to do with that, right? Well, we're going to get into that a little bit, so you don't even have to worry. Uh, I'm excited to be here and to get to preach to you guys this morning. If you're visiting, if you're uh, with family or just uh, first time here, my name's Travis Watson. I'm one of the uh, teaching pastors here, and from time to time, you have to endure me, and I love that opportunity. And uh, it's always a privilege to preach because I've said this before, and it is so true. Mark has said this, like, When we prepare to preach, God preaches to us over and over and over again, long before we get up here. And sometimes it's very encouraging as a pastor, and sometimes it beats you up a little bit. And uh, I I have to share this story with you. It has nothing to do with my message this morning. But God preaching at us in various different ways. So about a year ago, roughly around this time, if you were here, you may, and Watson, you'll really enjoy the strong name, by the way. I love that. Uh, but, uh, and Britton might, might appreciate this as well. So it's okay. You don't have to look up. It's all good. Um, but about a year ago when I was preaching, I was making a joke in the first service about runners on the road and how they can, you know, kind of dominate and they need to get out of the way and let us car drive, right? And then after, after that sermon in between, uh, Watson was like, yeah, I was one of those runners you were alluding to. And so I ate a lot of crow and had to acknowledge that and apologize. So, this week, I was one of the runners on the road. I ran a, a 3K, and as I'm running it, me and my wife on Thanksgiving morning, we're running with half of Anderson, it felt like, uh, around the mall. And uh, as we were running that, literally, I started laughing on the, the back mile there, the third mile, uh, thinking to myself, God, you have an amazing sense of humor at how you have just kind of brought it like full circle. Yesterday, I did a 10K, first one of those I've ever done. And I'm feeling every inch of that 10K this morning. Very, very brutal. But it's just amazing how, like, you can say something and do something, even something that you don't even think is really relevant or whatever. But God God doesn't waste anything. He's always working, and he always comes back and, you know, teaches you humility. In this case, for me, I've eaten a lot of humble pie since that analogy. And I'm sure I'll say something today which will require uh, more humble pie. But that's all right. I, I have a tendency to do that. So uh, we're jumping into uh, our Advent series. And I want to say as we get into it, thank you so much for last week on behalf of the rest of the pastoral staff for allowing the four of us to be up here and just share our hearts with you, share scripture with you to process John 6. Uh, just absolutely love, love, love doing that. I hope we get more opportunities in the future. Um, but we are going to continue back into John 7 after our Advent series is out of the way here in the, the new year. But we're going to start our Advent series off this morning, and we're kind of titling the series, and I've entitled even the message the same this morning, This Year Will Be Different. And I want you to just, if, as much as possible, it's very difficult, I know, but as much as possible, if you can, just kind of hit the pause button on your expectations, even for a Christmas series, a Christmas morning message, uh, all the things that you expect, because let's be honest, we're in the holiday season and we all come together, right, with different expectations and different things we're looking for out of the season, everything else. And, and when we do that, we might miss something God has for us because we just kind of get sucked along into that current of what happens during the holiday season. So as much as possible, I would love my prayer for you, my prayer for me, my family, is that this year would be different. This year 
will be different. That, that is my desire. And I was thinking about um, a time in my life when I remember there being a sudden shift during the holidays. Because when you're little, when you're young, you have this awe around the holidays, right? You know what I'm talking about. Even if you're not young still, you, you can reflect back to those early, early years when everything was just wonderful, right? It was mystical and just exciting and there was just joy and you really did believe Frosty had come to life and it was just candy canes and hot cocoa for every meal and life was just perfect. I remember so many memories like that. I remember one time, I must have been seven or eight, literally being so excited the first day of Christmas break, I was the only one in my parents' bedroom watching Rudolph and literally I was jumping as hard and as high as I could up and down on their bed till I literally just collapsed and laid back and thought to myself, this is the pinnacle of life. It cannot get better than this, right? And, and we have that wonder, that awe when we're young. We have a, a lot of new kids in our home right now. And of course, my, my, my own biological kids are really, really young. And uh, we, we do different traditions. And last night was our first time to drive by the Christmas house over near Ingalls on Clemson Boulevard. Some of you know what I'm talking about. There's, go over there if you haven't. There's this house completely lit up, the yard, everything, and they sync music to it and everything. And we pulled up there last night, and it was just, my kids went from like wanting to kill each other in the van to just like, like you could just hear the air sucked out of our van there, and we just sat there. And the rest of the night, can we go back? Can we go back to the house? Can we? There was just over something as simple as lights and song. It was just so, so powerful. For me, when that shift really took place was when I was 12 years old. Perhaps one of the greatest years God has allowed in the history of mankind, 1986. Oh, it's a good time. How many remember 1986? Anybody? A few of you? 1986 was so magical. There was so much that happened, good and bad. I mean, there was tragedies. The Chernobyl nuclear uh, uh, catastrophe took place. Some of you are aware of that. Uh, there was the space shuttle uh, disaster that erupted, and we lost astronauts. President Reagan uh, was ruling and reigning in Washington, D.C. Love him or hate him. It was good to be an American at that point in time. Um, I could go on and on and on. The first Nintendo came out. I will never forget that experience. I grew up on a Commodore 64. Most of you don't even know what that is. Let's just say it's ancient. But when the Nintendo came out, I was like, mind blown. My thumb was like that big after the first day. Uh, so the, the first Nintendo came out. Um, there, I could tell you all about the sitcoms and different things like that that are irrelevant. Oprah debuted. I'm trying to appeal to some of the women here. I really could care less about Oprah. But uh, Oprah debuted that year. Um, it was just phenomenal. Top Gun came out. Now, yes, thank you. I can tell who is spiritual and who's not. So when I was really little, when Star Wars came out, that was another mind-blowing experience. Nothing had ever come out similar to Star Wars. It was just phenomenal. And then after that, there was really nothing else that was just like mind-blowing. Until Top Gun came out, and Top Gun blew my mind. The thing that made Christmas so special was the Holy Grail of Holy Grails. And I've got four pictures I'm going to show you. So this is the first picture. The JCPenney Christmas Catalog. Now, this was the, I mean, there was the Bible and there was the catalog. And they were pretty close when you were a kid. When this came out, and I had three older sisters, we literally had to 
schedule time to get the book. Again, you, the young people today, you don't get it. You will not get it. Even it's, this is beyond your comprehension, right, of instant access and everything. But this book contains life and everything that mattered. This was a thick catalog, and you would get it, and you would open up, and you would dream, and you would imagine, and your mind would just go, wow, what I would look like if I had that outfit, what, what I would be like if I just had that gadget, if I had that toy, my life would be complete. There, there are always the certain toys I wanted each year. I, I crave that vibrating football game. You know, some of you know what I'm talking about. I finally got one of those. Miami Dolphins versus San Francisco 49ers. The greatest game ever. I played that by myself in my room for hours. I was that type of kid. Loved it. I always wanted the black race car tracks that went over the walls and around the kitchen and everywhere else. Never got one of those. Very disappointed mom and dad. But, like, I crave that stuff. And we would go through this catalog as kids and just rotating. And we would bend pages and we would circle items and we would highlight. And we would do everything we could to try and make sure the magic that was in those pages would come into our life and make everything better. And it never failed. Maybe one or two items out of that catalog every year we would get, and the rest would be like underoos, which were okay. Uh, You know, socks. My grandmother would send me old candy. Uh, Don't do that if you're a grandparent. At least send them new candy. But like most of the stuff you got wasn't really everything that you wanted, but you were still pretty happy when you were young because you got that one thing and it was like, whoa, this is awesome. But then 1986 came along and I got just about everything in this catalog I wanted. Uh, The the second picture, what you see on here, now... uh, (laughs) These things were glorious, let me tell you. Again, we didn't have like the little, oh, hang on, let me put on some tracks. Yeah, it's awesome. Like, right? We didn't have that back then. We had this. What you wanted was the $89.95 item. What I got was letter C, the $24.95 album. Mine was actually green. I didn't get pink or purple, thank God. But what you would do, the 101.3 KGOT, I still remember the radio station in Alaska. As a little kid... You would wait for the night top tracks to come on, and you'd have your blank cassette all ready. And if you timed it just right, boom, click, hit record. That would record for three or four seconds, boom, hit end record, and you would have one of the top tracks to listen to for the rest of the week. It was amazing, and it would be horrible if, like, you lost the reception or it got cut out or something like that. My dad used to get so mad at me because I would use his preaching tapes to record over... (laughs) He would get so upset, and I, I would record, you know, Madonna and Scorpions and all the all the big hits. Uh, so then the third photo, I also got the the waterproof Walkman up at the top. Now I'll never forget this without grossing you out. I remember listening to this in the shower, thinking I have arrived. I have music in the shower. But what re- what I remember most about this gift when I got this. I got my first rock and roll cassette that I ever actually bought on my own, which was the Top Gun soundtrack. And man, when I put that thing in my Walkman and got on my BMX, and it was like Stranger Things before Stranger Things, right? Uh, When I did that and took off, I swear I was flying off the end of the ship. You could not stop me. I was maverick. I was amazing. I was awesome. It, it just, it was everything to me. It was, it was so, like, I'll never forget that feeling of, like, this is mind-blowing. This is incredible. And then I'll never forget the fourth photo, Mama buying me this. 
Now, you don't want to wear this today for a lot of reasons. <laughs> but I'll never forget Mama buying me this shirt. See, I love Miami Dolphins because Dan Marino got drafted by them, and I watched him play at Pitt. And in heart of hearts, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, but um, when he got drafted to Miami, my, my passion went to Miami to follow him because I thought he was the greatest thing in the world. If I could just grow curls out in the back with a curly mullet like him, I would be amazing. Of course, my parents wouldn't let me do that because they were very strict. But I thought, man, if I get this shirt, I will be everything that the girls desire at school. It will be it. Jack, if I have this shirt, I'll have it all, right? I'll have it figured out. So I had all of this stuff assembled, right? It was going to be the the best time of my life ever. You know, it didn't take very long before none of that stuff mattered to me anymore. In fact, this is the only thing I hung on to, only because when mom was throwing all my stuff away from high school. I said, nah, not, not that shirt. I want to keep that shirt. I don't think I've worn it probably in 35 years or so, which tells you how old I am, 30 years. Um, but we have this mindset of if I could just have, if I could just get, that will make Christmas special, right? That will make this a Christmas that will be different. If I could just get that new car or that laptop or that relationship, if I could just have everybody get along for once during the holidays, if I could get to a place where I could feel physically uh, in shape and, and I could eat what I want and everything else, then, then life would be great and uh, it, it would just be wonderful and, and, and I, I would be happy and I would be satisfied and I would be content. And that's not reality. It, it's a myth that we buy into. Now, you're going to feel like I'm poo-pooing all over Christmas this morning. And that's not my intent. My intent is to bring us back into a new reality, into the original reality of why we even celebrate Christmas in the first place. The Advent. The Advent. So I put in the top of your notes there, our desire as a pastoral staff, as a church, our desire is to counteract our tendency to sanitize the Advent season. And my trivializing the birth of Christ as just another detail of the holiday season. So this is what I mean by that. We have so much, so much we get wrapped up into, right? We spend so much energy on those gifts we want. We spend so much energy on cooking and cleaning and decorating. We spend so much energy on coordinating family and squeezing in the the night of worship and church services and uh, ministry opportunities and shopping for boxes. We, we squeeze so much, and so much of it is good. So much of it is awesome. So much of it is phenomenally just wonderful to experience. And we can enjoy all that, and Christ just kind of becomes one more item that we add to that stuff. Right? He, he becomes the, the babe in the manger that's in our front lawn in the nativity set or, or the, the story we read to our kids from Luke 2 the night before or uh, maybe you watch the movie with them or you talk a little bit about Jesus in the manger. He becomes one of the details. And what I want to encourage you in as we start this Advent series off, what I encourage you, what I plead with you, what I beg and pray over you is that Christ would not be one of the details for you but that Christ would be the detail. That you would see that all the stuff that the world throws at us is so trivial and temporal and meaningless. And it will not satisfy you because we all know January 2nd comes. And you go back to work and you start paying off your bills. And you wonder, why did I do all that? Right? So that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. Now, Advent, I'm going to give you the simplest definition there is. Advent simply means to come into 
to come into, to step into something, to enter into a space you weren't previously at. And, and, and to tie that into Christ, obviously, it goes without saying, this isn't anything deep or whatever, but Advent is simply the anticipation of Jesus Christ's birth, of Jesus Christ leaving heaven and coming into the world in physical form, God becoming flesh. That is what we mean when we say, Happy Advent. And, and one of the things you'll discover very quickly, especially about me, is I'm not PC sensitive. I'm just not. I'm not worried about your feelings and how you're going to take stuff. Sometimes that gets me in trouble. And like I said, I'll, I'll have to apologize for that. But I'm not worried about offending you by saying Merry Christmas. You know, any more than I'm going to use Merry Christmas as my proclamation of the gospel. I took a stand for Christ. I said Merry Christmas. That's such a cheap way out. Come on, let's not do that. Right? So we're going to talk very openly about Christ being the most important aspect, more than anything else. And I think that's absolutely important for this to be more than just Christmas carols, more than just packages wrapped with care and movies and shopping and family feast and, and all that stuff. So real quick, we're going to look at three aspects, three characteristics of Advent. The first is ransom, second is repentance, and the third is realigning or realignment. So there's no, I'm not here to try and sneak one over on you. And ah, so you can, if you want to jump ahead and start writing all these words in your notes, you can do that. That's fine. But I, I want you to just kind of, like I said, if you can, just hit the pause for what you're expecting. And maybe take a moment and just say, Holy Spirit, speak, speak to me. Show me something new, something different. Challenge me. Challenge me today. So I want to, we're going to start with, uh, we're going to have multiple texts today, but we're going to start in the gospel of Mark chapter 10 and verse number 42, Mark chapter 10, verse number 42. And I want to give you the context of what's going on here. So Jesus is out ministering and two of his boys, James and John decide they're going to have a conversation with Jesus. And this has been going on. If you read back previously in Mark 9, this has been going on for a while amongst all the disciples. But these two, they're called the sons of thunder for a reason. They're a little more brash. And they literally approach Jesus. The context tells us that they approach Jesus and say, we want you to do for us anything that we ask. That, that's a little brash, right? That's a little bold. You're walking around with the Son of God. You've seen him do all these miracles we've been talking about in John and everything. And, and they walk up to him and say, listen. We want you to do whatever we ask. And, and Jesus being Jesus, I, I love how he responds to them in the text because he knows what they're about. They come to him and say, we want to make sure one of us sits on the right hand and one of us sits on the left hand when you're in your kingdom. In other words, we want to be almost as important as you, but more important than everybody else. A couple of selfish dudes here. Couple, couple of self-centered, power-hungry individuals. And they've been debating this with each other, the Bible tells us, arguing over who's greater than, than each other. Can you just imagine this group of guys following Jesus around like, I'm better than you. Oh, no, well, what about that one time I saw you take more bread when Jesus said we didn't have that much bread to take and you took more? Like, like they just go around like just debating who's greater and not greater. And finally, James and John are like, well, let's settle this once for all. Jesus, do whatever we ask. Make me your right hand. Make him your left hand. No, no, no. Make me the right hand and him the left. You know, you can just picture them going back and forth, back and forth. And Jesus is just so beautiful. He does this over and over again. Rather than just like calling them out and, and attacking them for it, he goes to the heart issue, as always. So let's pick it up in verse 42. In the middle of the, the conversation, the narrative, it says, And Jesus called them to him, and he said to them, 
you know that those who are considered rulers over the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. He's getting to the heart issue, what's really going on here. He's talking to them about, like, listen, you're focused about you being important. You want to tell everybody what to do. You, you want to make life about you. You want the spotlight to be on you. You're seeking what makes you happy. Your, your only true concern is what's going to give you joy. So he says, but it shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Ah, oh, Jesus he always has a way of flipping the script. And whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And here's the main verse I want to hit on. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life for a ransom for many. For a ransom for many. So the first point is, he came, his advent, he came to ransom us. This is absolutely important. As we get into ransom and repentance and realignment, they have to take place in this order. If they don't, they don't happen. They don't happen. What Christ wants us to realize more than anything else, it doesn't matter how great of a sinner you are or how small of a sinner you are in your eyes. You are in desperate need of salvation. You are in need to be ransomed. The things that you're chasing in this life that you think are going to bring you joy will not because only Jesus Christ can ultimately satisfy your heart's longing. And he knows that even in these circumstances where these guys, his friends, his disciples are so focused on them and on themselves, he says, no, it shouldn't be that way among you. If you are a follower of mine, it shouldn't be about you. Your life is not about you. That is not why I came. I came to this planet. I invaded. Advent took place for me to ransom you. Not to make all your dreams come true. This word ransom, it's, it's, in other words, it's the price to redeem, paid for slaves or captives. It's a phrase we really don't use very much. It's really, in our culture, in our understanding, it's associated with kidnapping, right? It's, it's the ransom note. And in a sense, that's what's happened to us. We have been kidnapped by sin. We have been kidnapped by our own selfish desires, by the things that we think will ultimately satisfy us. And Christ says, I paid the price for you to be free from those things so you would no longer be bound to those things. That's why I came. I did not come to teach you to live a better life. I did not come to make your day a little bit brighter. I did not come to give you a pick-me-up. I did not come so that you would feel better about yourself and your relationships. I did not come so you could just float through life happy. I came to buy you, to purchase you, to ransom you. I love it because more literally in the Greek, it's, it's the, the word picture of loosening and throwing off a pair of shoes. So completely taking from one status in life. And you know that feeling, right? I tell you, after that 10K, taking off my tennis shoes, I tell my wife, first thing I need is an ice cold bath. My dogs, these puppies down here were barking. The, probably some of that's equipment. Watson, you can instruct me in that area later. But let me tell you, it was a glorious feeling to feel free from my Nikes and throw them aside. I was free. I was let loose from that. And what you need to understand, Christ didn't just come to forgive you of past sins 
and then let you struggle throughout your life. He came to remove that permanently from you so that you could be free. Do you understand that? Part of the reason we don't get repentance and we don't realign our priorities to match up with him is we lose sight of what he did when he ransomed us. Romans 6.23 says, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God, the ultimate Christmas gift, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You were born with a death sentence. I was born with a death sentence over my head. I had no value. It's not like God went shopping in a store someday and saw all of us on different shelves and racks and said, that's the bargain I'm looking for. I've been looking for something like that. Let me take that. That's got value. That's going to enhance my kingdom. No, when Christ went to the store, he went around to the backside to the dump heap and saw all the discarded, broken, destroyed things that had no value. And he started picking things off of that dump pile and said, That's going to be mine. I'm going to buy that. I'm going to buy that. I'm going to buy that. And I'm going to make something useful out of it. The wages of sin, the cost of your sin, even if it's just something as simple as I want to be more important than other people, even if it's just a selfish desire or if it's a headlong uh, addiction or an anger problem or a greed problem or a theft problem, whatever your sin might be, a murderous heart, whatever it is, we all are in the same place. We are deserving death. Period. John 8.36 would tell us, however, if the Son has set you free, you are what? Free indeed. If Jesus takes your shoes off, believe me, they are going to be off. He didn't just halfway free you. He came to absolutely liberate you and me. I love 1 Corinthians 6.19-20. It says, you are not your own. You were bought with the price as if all of a sudden I am something. You are nothing. Paul says, you don't even belong to yourself. You belong to Jesus. He paid for you. You were bought with a price. And as a result, he goes on to say, so then glorify God in your body. That leads us and will lead us into the whole area of repentance and realigning our priorities. But we can't do that if we don't start here first and say, well, I don't even have a say. I I don't even get a vote in this. Like Jesus Christ has absolute authority over my life in every single area. Is that where you're living at this morning? Because if you're not living there, everything else is going to be skewed from there on forward. And I want to encourage you during this season where there is going to be so much stuff purchased, so many things bought. I made the mistake of going to Haywood Mall on Black Friday. It wasn't a mistake because I got to love on my wife and speak her love language. Let me tell you, there was a couple things being bought at the mall. (laughs) There was not even parking on the grass. I kid you not. I kid you not. And you know how big Haywood Mall is. I mean, that lot is huge. All the way around that, that frontage road around the mall, all the grass was filled. Now, I'm not saying it was God's will that I pulled in the parking garage and the parking space opened up because I don't believe that was God's will per se, but he provided. (laughs) There's so much stuff going to be purchased this year, right? So much stuff. I love just watching people. I love it. We, We went out Good Friday evening as well because the mall wasn't sufficient. I love you. And we hit stores and stuff. And at one point, we were walking around with 88-cent dish towels. It's like, this is why we came out. 88-cent dish towels. Can I, 
Can I challenge you to do something? For just this, this season, till between now and Christmas, every time you make a purchase, would you remind yourself that you were first bought with a price? Think of how many times you'll get to remind yourself of that. Take a Sharpie and write on your card, bought with a price. Not like they're, they're not going to take your card. Just, just write on it. I can't tell you to deface money. That's a crime. But it doesn't say anything about writing on your bank card. <laughs> write a little post-it note on there. I've been bought with a price. Hand that to the cashier. What an opportunity to speak the gospel. Remind yourself over and over and over again throughout this season when we're constantly spending, spending, spending. Can you just remind yourself that first above everything else, you are only even able to spend and breathe because God loved you enough to come to earth and buy you first. He loves you so, so much. So moving on, our second point is not only did he come to ransom us, but he came for us to then repent. Repent. See, you're never going to get to the point of repentance if you don't first appreciate the fact that he had to die to redeem you and purchase you. Because otherwise, why repent? You're not that bad, right? Don't worry, I'm going to make you feel really bad about yourself here in a second. So just stay with me. That's what I do best. <laughs> Luke 5, 27 through 32. Powerful text. Jesus pursuing one of his followers. It says, after this, he went out, Jesus went out, and he saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. There's so much going on here in the text. Just reading this on the surface doesn't really do justice to it. But he says, follow me. And leaving everything, he, meaning Levi, Matthew, he rose and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his house. And there was a large company of tax collectors and others reclining at table with them. And I've preached on this topic before when I preached on Zacchaeus years ago. But understand, tax collectors, and I'm not going to get into this a lot, but tax collectors were considered scum. They were the low end of society. They were wealthy, but man, they were hated. They had a horrible reputation as being crooked and uh, thievery and just, they were not liked at all. And so... Jesus calls one of them to be one of his closest disciples. That in and of itself is a message. But then the disciple says, I'm going to get as much of this motley crew, not the band, as much of this motley crew together and have a party with Jesus. And so they're all at the dinners and people are reclining and laying around. And the Pharisees and their scribes in verse 30 grumbled at his disciples saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners. I love it. They complained to the disciples. But the next verse says, and Jesus answered them. <laughs> I love Christ. You just got to picture this, right? All this grumbling and, oh, I can't, why are you eating with them? Oh, I can't believe he invited them here. And Jesus just kind of interjects himself into it. And he says this, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. You probably just hear the silence when he spoke up, right? But look at 30, 32, and this is so important for us. I have not come, Advent, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners, to repentance. This is so important. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. It is not enough to come to Jesus. It is not enough. Our, our Christian circles today are full of people that have come to Christ but have no idea what repentance, true repentance, looks like. It's not enough to just come. He calls us to 
repent. And so I have this question. I wrote this question in my notes, and I highlighted it because I wanted to make sure I said it to you. Is there anything in your life that if Jesus today said, I want you to give that up for me, that you would have to say, "Mm, no, I don't want to, to Jesus? Let that sink in a moment. Anything in your life, if Jesus showed up today and said, I want you to no longer be engaged in this activity. I want you to let go of this thing in your life. I want you to to go a different way. Would you be willing, no matter what it was, to say yes? Tough question. This is why I bring that up, because in in order to truly repent and embrace Christ as Lord and Savior, you have to surrender all. You can't show up to Jesus and say, I want you to be Lord of all of this stuff, but this I'm going to hang on to. He doesn't allow for that. In fact, you won't find in Scripture that Jesus makes suggestions. It's not there. He makes commands. He makes expectations. If you're going to follow me, pick up your cross and start walking. That's an expectation, not I want you to look out at your week, see what's going on. There's a few slots I have open. I was wondering if maybe we could get five minutes here or there. And uh, I'm going to really make you feel good in those five minutes. And then whatever you want to do the rest of the week, that's your time. You won't find it. Your feelings, my feelings, are absolutely irrelevant if Jesus is Lord. That is completely counterculture today. I saw this analogy by Francis Chan in a sermon yesterday, and it was so true. I was like, wow, that just captures it perfectly. See, there was a time in our history as a nation when this was supreme. When no matter what you were living, no matter what you were doing, you had an awe and a respect for this, and this book was elevated. The, the Word of God mattered. And when you understood that Jesus said certain things, hey, watch your mouth and how you treat people. Hey, love your wife the way I love the church. Hey, don't be involved with people that are gossips and slanders. Don't let that be said among you. Hey, love other people unconditionally. When this book said something, people put a lot of weight on it. And their feelings were tremendously impacted by the power of this book. But what has happened gradually over time is this book has been slowly replaced by our feelings. And slowly what is happening, it's like, well, that's your interpretation of Scripture. Well, I don't really feel that way. I'm just not sure. You know, that's true for you. That's good. But I just don't feel like God would be that way. I don't think God would ask that of me. And we live in a day and a time when culture is driven, driven by their feelings, driven by their emotions, motivated by what feels good to me, what I think is truth, what I believe to be true about God. Guess what? Your interpretation of that, and mine, it is completely irrelevant. The only thing that matters is what Christ says about himself and what he expects out of us. And so when he gets to this point of saying, I'm calling you to repent, repentance means to have a complete change of mind. It literally means you're going one direction in life and this is the path you're on. And when you repent, you say, I'm no longer on that. I'm going to get off of that path and I'm going to go in a new direction. And that is just not seen in the church today. What is seen in the church today is I'm on this path. I know I need God. And I'm like, yes, I choose God. And by the way, I'm sorry for everything bad I did. And we keep on walking. 
And that is not what repentance is. In fact, if you get into the depth of it, repentance is seeing sin the way that God sees sin with an abhorrence. Looking at the the things that trip you up and the things that you fail in and looking at it and just saying, I am abhorred by that. I am disgusted. My stomach is just reviled by that. This is not to say that you're going to live perfect and never sin. It's to say that when you do sin, you're going to realize, wow, this is not the path I'm supposed to be on. I need to make some changes. I want to share a passage of scripture with you out of Hebrews. This this is just un, unreal to me. When you get into... Um, your feelings and what God has to say about who he is and who you are in relation to the Listen to this text and tell me how you justify God not caring about your feelings. Look at verse 26. The writer says, dear friends, he's talking to believers here, dear believers, dear friends. If we deliberately continue sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, there is no longer any sacrifice that will cover these sins. In other words, it's his way of saying, listen, if you don't truly repent and change... There, there's no alternative for you. It is the cross of Christ or nothing else. There's no other alternative that will cover your sin. He says there is only the terrible expectation of God's judgment and the raging fire that will consume his enemies. For anyone who refused to obey the law of Moses was put to death without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. Just think how much worse the punishment will be for those who have trampled on the Son of God and have treated the blood of the covenant, the cross, which has made us holy, as if it were common and unholy and have insulted and disdained the Holy Spirit who brings God's mercy to us. For we know the one who said, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, because he also said the Lord will judge his own people. It is a terrible thing to fall in the hands of an angry God. Does that line up with your cute little baby in the manger image? He didn't come to give you the giggles. He didn't come to make you an an influencer. He didn't come... Because he wanted you to feel good about life and to have, you know, a dream and a goal. He came for your heart to align with his heart. And that doesn't happen if you don't realize first that you were purchased. And secondly, that you have to repent. You have got to repent and turn. And if you have not done that and you're just tolerating sin in your life and you think, well, it's no big deal. God will understand it. He gets it that I struggle with social media. He gets it I struggle with porn. He understands I have an angry issue. That's why there's grace. And you just keep on going like that's no big deal. You better take heed of Hebrews 10. God's serious about sin. And his perspective is if you just keep living life as if no big deal because you got grace and you can sin and live however you want and God's just going to overlook it, you better be prepared for judgment because it's coming your way in this life and the next. Merry Christmas. There's so many passages on repentance. Matthew 4, 17, Jesus began to preach saying, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Luke 24, 47, repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations. 
Notice it's repentance and remission of sins. It's not just letting go of sin. It's repenting. There's a brokenness. There's a sorrow that should accompany your repentance. It's not just, I'm sorry, forgive me. There should be a heavy weight of your understanding of how much you've blown it. Acts 3.19, repent you therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. We cannot, we cannot, we cannot align our priorities with God if we do not repent of the sin in our life. Which brings me to my final point. He came to realign my priorities. So when we understand that he purchased me at a great price, and that purpose for the purchase was so that I could repent of my sins, so that he would make a way, that sermon I preached on propitiation, that's the whole purpose of why he came, so that I could repent. And when I repent, it brings me to a place where I can now line up my life, my priorities with the Son of God. He says this in Matthew 10, 34 through 36. This is huge. This is huge. He says this, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. But it's Christmas. <laughs> Do not think I came to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come, Advent, I have come. This is why I came, to set man against father, daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Literally to set against one another, to divide completely in opposition to one another. You're like, man, that sounds harsh. What Christ is teaching us here is that when you live and you proclaim the gospel and are truly, fully surrendered to him, your priorities shift. And when your priorities shift, because you're no longer living on your feelings, when you realign, it's what do you want, God? What do you expect? And when we do that, it is going to automatically cause division. It's going to automatically put me on one side of the aisle and people that I care about and people I'm trying to minister to on the other side. It is going to happen. It happens in my family. I'll mention it second service when Mikey's here. Mikey ain't here right now, but it happens in my family. When I, when I confront my, my son, my daughter Lizzie, who's in the Navy right now, when I confront them about, hey, you're not chasing after God, you're not surrendered to God, why are you doing these things with your life? When I confront them, you know what it does? Causes division. Right away, there's an edge in the spirit. Why? Because we don't like confrontation. We don't like to be told we're living in sin. We don't like to be told God has a standard and you're not meeting it. You're living to your standard instead. We don't like that. So automatically, there's division. And I tell my children, listen, I love you, but the standard's not going to change. I love God more. God is my chief priority in life. As much as I love you and would die for you, I would literally give anything that I could to save your life over my life. As much as that is true... I will not give my life for you over God. God trumps everything. He is supreme. And so he teaches us in Scripture, you cannot maintain your old life and live another one. There's going to be, when you decide that you are going to surrender and he will be Lord, it's going to automatically cause you division. And there are no exceptions to that. I put in the notes, we cannot refuse our cross and yet still follow Jesus. You can't. He gives us his life so we can give him our life. That's the whole purpose of it. It's such a beautiful exchange. It's not he gives us his life and we keep living our life. He gives us his life and we say, okay, here you go. What do you want me to do with my life? Do you want me to stay in Anderson? You want me to attend Hope Fellowship? You want me in this ministry? You want me loving on these people? You want, what do you want me to do? It's yours. Command, I'll go. 
It's such a beautiful thing to give up everything in order to gain the only thing that it's worth. I tell especially my children, but people I get to minister to, I try and remind them as well, but I say it on a regular basis. The things of this life are so temporal. So temporal. I mean, every day you open the news headlines and someone else that's famous or popular or young or whatever dies, overdoses, has cancer, uh, DUIs, uh, accidentally shot and killed. I mean, over and over and over again. None of you in here are guaranteed to even see Christmas morning. Do you realize that the very breath you have in your lungs is a gift and God can take it any moment and say, you're done for no reason. You might be healthy as anything, no cancer, nothing, and he just decides you're done. So what are you, what are you living for? What, what is my purpose? What am I giving myself to? It's got to be more than Christmas morning. So why all of this, what feels like doom and gloom? It's not doom and gloom when we, when we get the picture of who God is because this changes Christmas for me. It changes it. It gives me true joy to say, okay, now I can genuinely love people. Now I can genuinely enter into your story and say, how do I make much of you during this season when people are probably a little more attuned or a little more open to hearing about joy or about a baby in a manger? How, how can I present to them the reality of who this baby is? Give me that opportunity. Christmas begins to change when we stop making it about us and we make it about him. And I believe if we did that as a church, if we could just come this morning and if every person in here, every person would just confess every sin they have in their life right now and say, I am fully surrendered to you, Hope Fellowship would look radically different. Forget the second service. If just this service did that, I guarantee you Christmas would be different. There is nothing sweeter than a joy that comes in the life that is fully surrendered to God. So we've been closing with this concept lately of what does Jesus want me to know? What does Jesus want me to do? It's really quite simple. It's in the notes. We've already gone over it. Jesus wants me to know that Advent is about ransom, repentance, and realignment. That's what it's about. It's not about stockings. It's not about cookies and carrots. (laughs) (laughs) Right? It's not about gifts under the tree. All those things are wonderful. But Advent is about what he came into this world to do. So what does he want me to do as a result of that? He wants me to repent and realign my life. Repent and realign my life. That can be tough sometimes. It's a simple concept to understand. It can be difficult to do. But to sit in repentance and say, I'm not getting up, Father, until you break me of every stronghold in my life and I surrender it to you. And then take me, do what you want.